I gotta put this someplace. Three, two, one. Hi, my name is Patrick Ernest. I'm a member of Element, and I have been attending Element Church since uh, Easter of 2008. Well, giving's definitely been a learned process. Long story short, in the mid to late 90s, I was going through a divorce with my first wife. I had two small daughters. Going from two incomes to one income made it very difficult, especially trying to live on your own. Got to a point where it was very, very difficult to make ends meet. Um, had to swallow my pride, accepted help from others, which I never thought I would do. The church I was attending at the time provided food for us so I could feed my children. Uh, very, very, very difficult. About that time, I was in a church service uh, prior to Element, and they were talking about giving. They had a one-page leaflet, and it said, when in debt, start giving. And at that time, I was in debt, and I didn't have two pennies to rub together. I read it, I felt convicted. I hadn't been tithing, hadn't been giving, and so I figured I'd give it a shot. Um, I prayed about it first, and then agreed that I would give X amount of dollars. I think it was $20 a week. At the end of the calendar year in December, when I looked at what I had earned versus what I had given, I, I was even more convicted because God took care of me through those difficult times and my income increased, but my tithing didn't. From that point on, I made it a point to try to give more every year and try and build that up. And it's become more of a blessing. I look forward to finding a way to give now as opposed to saving more for me. And the blessings that God poured out upon me because I gave, they're amazing. Uh, it may not have been financial, but my kids were always healthy. Things seemed to work out. It was amazing how when things seemed bleak, things work out. I've seen how good God is by me being faithful and giving to Him. When these difficult times do arise, I can fall back on Him. I can truly rest in His arms knowing that He's in control. This is His life. He knows where I'm going to go. He knows what I'm going to do. It does bring peace. It really does. God is good. There's no doubt about that. He's proven that to me so many times. And, and not just through giving, but He's just a good God. It's all for God. So to give away is not that difficult. It's not that hard anymore. But in the beginning, it was extremely hard, especially when you have debts to pay. So the Planting Roots campaign is very much like what I've gone through in my life. Elements in a situation where we're not broke, but we don't have $1.5 million or whatever it's going to take just sitting in the bank to build this. So at this point, I would hope that we could all come together and prayerfully consider what our options are as families, as individuals, and to pray and to actually seek God in this and allow Him to bestow blessings upon us because this is too big for us as just human beings to decide what we're going to do. God has to be involved in this. And if we allow Him in, if we trust Him, if we want Him to work with us, He will. And He's going to do wonderful things. And I can't wait to see what He's going to do with Element when we all start to trust and all start to give and see what develops. So apparently Patrick and his wife hadn't seen that video when they were in first service this morning. His wife saw, good job.
It's like, nice, nice. Uh, a couple things in there. Um, if you would ask Patrick, he, he, he would echo what I'm saying to you. In, in, in the video, it sounds a lot like he's saying, you know, well, I did this, and then God did that, and I did this. It, he has the understanding, which we all should. It is God's first blessing that has been given to us. And then we respond out of that. That's kind of what he's talking about in the midst of it. So he kind of wanted me to be clear with you guys. That's kind of what he's saying. Don't forget, okay, next week, 10 a.m., I know, set your alarm earlier. Get out of bed. Get out there in the field. We're going to have a tent. It's going to be okay. You're not going to be, well, today would be like the mist. But, you know, what happened to our summer? All a little irritated about it? I guess, hey, it keeps the flies out. It's not as hot in here, so yay, go element but uh next week hopefully the sun's out it's nice and warm we'll have the tent out there 10 a.m what time are you going to show up 10 05 oh it's 10 we better get going <laughs> if you show up at this time you're probably going to catch like the last song be like ah oh, got someone actually come and do sounds hopefully it's going to be like a rockin in the tent be like a like a revival in the tent it's funny that the, the I, I can waste time because it's third service. So, <laughs> I, did, I didn't tell anybody this in any of their services because we're so tight on time today. But uh, the guy that's doing sound, we're, we're explaining it. We're out in this tent, and he's thinking like, oh, like a tent revival. I'm like, no, no, we're element. It's like rock and roll. And then someone yelling at you for half an hour. That, that's what it, and it's like, and he's got this whole thing in his head, and we can't. So it'll be interesting to see what the guy who brings all the sound equipment sets it up thinks when we're done. Because in the back of his mind, he cannot get out. Like, pit revival. <laughs> Maybe we should just do that. No, if you'd be like, whoa. <laughs> Did I park in the wrong spot? What's going on? Uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, we don't have sermon notes on all the communion tables uh, for the five weeks of planting roots. What we have are these journey guides. And if you guys don't have one, we invite you to grab one and take one. There is five weeks of devotionals that you can be doing with your family. There's children's section and teen section and then uh, gospel community sections. But there's like six days of going through individual short little devotions, which you should be talking to your family about. And then there's a seventh day where you kind of talk about all of those things together. We want you guys walking through the entire thing. And so we don't have sermon notes per se. We have the journey guides, and we have plenty. So please grab one if you don't have one. Um, I want people to remember what Planting Roots is all about. And so we, we printed T-shirts, and it's not like we're a cult where everybody's got to wear like the Planting Roots T-shirts and tinfoil hats and the same tennis shoes, and we all sing you know, whatever funky song we sing. Uh, we want people to remember over the next three years this journey what Planting Roots is. And so if you would like a T-shirt, you can grab one right outside. Uh, the T-shirts cost us 5 bucks, but if you don't have $5, please grab one anyway. We want everybody to have one. Money should not be a barrier. So grab a shirt. If you have 5 bucks, you want to give us 5 bucks, great. But if not, grab a shirt anyway. Uh, we have girly shirts. Who's wearing a girly shirt? She's wearing a girly shirt. Stand up. I don't embarrass her. Girly shirt? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Here's the crazy thing. I saw the green one, and I was like, oh, I want a green one. And then they showed it to me, and I'm thinking, how could I pull that off? And there is just no way. So you can grab a, grab a girly shirt if you want, if, if you're a girl, or grab, like, you know, a guy shirt. My, my wife likes, like, normal T-shirts and stuff. So anyway, so you can do one of those. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you download an app. It's called Version. In Version, you're only going to get the verses today. You're not going to get the sermon notes for Planting Roots. Those are only in the journey guides. So there we go. Why don't you stand with me to read into God's Word? We'll get started with this. 
Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would take us as a people and have us understand what we are serving with our lives and that we come to the place where we live in joy and freedom and hope and redemption and reconciliation because we understand what you as our great God has first done to us. And then we begin to live out of that goodness and blessing that you have given to us. And our whole lives change as we live in freedom and serve you as our great God. Amen. Have a seat. All right, this is our 33rd week of the Sermon on the Mount. It is our third in regard to treasure, and it is our fourth of planting roots. All kinds of numbers. I know. Uh, in our culture, I talked about this last week, what we treasure more than anything else is money. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus said more about money than almost any other topic other than the kingdom of God. He told 30 parables. 19 of those parables are set in an economic context. Almost two-thirds of the parables that we love so much that Jesus told in an economic context. The lost coin, the parable of the talents, the parable of the rich fool, all these things. The Bible literally has thousands of verses about financial issues. Now, if you have a journey guide in there, I, this week in, in some of your devotions, I talked to you about this. There's these people who did this research, and they're called Leah and Webley. They talk about two metaphors, and I think it's good for us to understand when we look at the role that money plays in our lives. They say money is a tool, but it's also a drug. This is what they write. They say, for a long time, economists thought of money only as a tool. We value money because it's useful, meaning it lets us pay the bills and keep the lights on and keep food in our fridge and you know we, we get work done and, and those kind of things. Jesus even tells a parable with this mindset of using it as a tool. Uh, he, he goes and he says, you know, these, these, there's an um, owner and he gives these people some talents to work with them. Luke 19, 13, he says, engage in business until I come because money is a tool. But if money is only a tool, why does it seem to get its hooks in us so deeply? You know, why do people who are rowing in money always have to have more? Why do people who have no money get a little bit of money and they clutch and hold on to it like it's the greatest thing in the world and they can't live without it? Why do people with enough money make sacrifices that damage their friendships and their families and their emotional health just to get more money? Lynn Webley say, because money is not just a tool, money is also a drug. Now, when it comes to tools, I don't have a deep emotional attachment to my tools. I, I don't. If you've ever been around here any length of time, you know that all tools seem to do is hurt me. I'm always wearing Band-Aids. I've got a cut on my hand right here where I got in the attic yesterday rewiring this light. So, bam, right there. Uh, if you are around me when I'm working with tools, sometimes I hurt you with my tools. Ask, ask my friend John Warren when I ripped off his thumbnails. It's a gift I have. I don't know. It's like when I play golf. Every time I play golf with somebody, I hit them with a the golf ball. And I don't know how I do it. Mike Foster, our drummer, was standing behind us one time. I went, boom, the ball went, zing, smacking it, hit him. I don't know how it works. So a tool is a tool. A tool is a tool. But money is also a drug. It makes us feel things we wouldn't normally feel otherwise. It gives us a temporary escape from pain. It gives us uh, a false security. Oh, I've got enough. I must be okay. Everything's going to be okay. I have enough money. Money gives us a buzz. Look at my bank account. Look at all the things that I have. Well, I can buy these things. I can go and buy this, and, and I can do that. Now, the biblical writers knew this about money and treasure. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Not, not that being rich is evil or bad or sinful, but the desire to it all the time, into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
Do you see how the parallel to drugs is simply amazing? And so a great question for us is, am I using money as a tool for the owner God, or am I using it as a drug for me? And today, I'm going to be very practical in what we talk about, uh, but it's also going to probably be some hard words for some of you as well. So listen to everything we talk about this morning and go through it. Uh, Jesus says, Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That doesn't mean that you can't have a nice bed. It doesn't mean you've got to live your entire life with the 500-pound CRT TV that's got a screen this big. You can go buy a flat screen. If, if you, it's just that you don't let it overwhelm you and take up everything in your life. And so we ask, am I storing up treasures in heaven or am I storing up treasures on earth? Money is a great tool, but money is a lethal drug. And what if we get freed from all of that? What if we get free of the hooks that money has in us? And this is what Planting Roots, we wanted to do for Element. It's not just about a permanent home. It's about the freedom that God intends for you and I to live in. And God creates a great instrument for you and I when it comes to money to get out of this thing where it's a drug in our lives. And it's called generosity. And a lot of people are really fuzzy on the concept of generosity. I'll give you some background in the scriptures. The most common word churches use when they talk about giving, they use this word called tithe. In Hebrew and Greek, the word simply means a tenth, a tenth, a tenth of something, of something. I say this because people are also a little fuzzy on what that means. I have some people who say to me, I tithe $10 a week. Well, if you, if you make $100 a week, that would mathematically work out. But if you don't, that doesn't mathematically actually work out. Apparently, you're all math challenged as well. So, uh, George Barna says, uh, while many Christian churches teach the principle of tithing, give or 10% of one's income to the church, relatively few people follow the practice. So they did this study. 17% who attend any kind of church, you know, Christian or not, any type of church, uh, claim that they tithe. Okay, 17%. When they checked with household income, 6% actually did. Born-again Christians, okay, that's like our team, right? 32% of born-again Christians say they tithe. When they checked, 12% actually did. So lots of Christians not only not tithing, but lying as well. Yay, go team. (laughs) Now, is tithing a law? Do you have to tithe? No. No, it's not. It's not. What does the scripture call us to be as believers? It calls us to be sacrificial, generous, consistent, and joyful. That's what we're called to be. Okay, there's no law placed on top of that. I, I personally think 10% is a great thing to get to. And that takes people a lot of time to get there. A lot of people give over that. But if you need a goal, that's kind of really a good goal. Now, in the Old Testament, you know, you had the tithe. What happens if you didn't tithe? What happens? Uh, Jesus? No. <laughs> Nothing, nothing happened. The Jewish mafia didn't show up at your door. Hey, where's our money? You know, they, don't, they didn't do that and like break your legs or anything. No jail time, nothing like that. It's, it's not a law in that, in that sense. But are there consequences to not giving? I think so. I think there are spiritual consequences to it. Because not only does it mean that we're robbing God of what's actually his, we're also self-centered. We're becoming, starting to worship only ourselves. Do you know that 16% of born-again Christian members of churches across the United States last year gave no money to their church? What that means in a real-world context is you, on average, will lose between $50 and $100 in change when you sit down places out of your pockets. You lost more money in change than a lot of people gave to their churches in the last year. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, is it possible to go to church for a whole year, not give anything, and still be worshiping God? The answer is actually no, because it's not biblical worship. Well, I was raising my hands. I was singing the songs. I had all these emotions. But all of your sacrifice was to yourself, and worship is about sacrifice. It's your time and your money all to you. It's not real worship. 
Because you can, for 52 weeks a year, you can sing songs for half an hour or an hour, depending on whatever church you go to. But if you're not giving, you're not worshiping because it's not biblical worship. And I, and I can say so many things to people throughout the year. I can talk about your job and how you treat your kids and how you treat your spouse. But as soon as I start talking about money in this way, a lot of walls go up. People just go, oh, just, I don't want to hear that. I don't, I don't want to talk about this. This is why we started planting roots with the fatherhood of God. Who is God? He is our Father. He's bestowed blessings upon us. That was the second week that God has bestowed blessings upon you and I. And then, and then we talked about last week what a good eye looks like. When we see the things that God has placed before us, what's a good eye look like in, the, in that? Today we're talking about tools versus drugs. Now, tithing in the Old Testament involved actually more than just 10%. A lot of people don't even understand that. People go, oh, the tithe is 10%. Actually, it was almost three times that. Almost three times that. Uh, tithing for Israel was supposed to be this real concrete way that they could have a community centered around generosity. Open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 18. It's one of the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Torah. Numbers 18. See, it's real easy because it's called Numbers. Number 18. Ah. So I'll give you a little course on how God had his people give. Maybe we can connect that just a little bit as well. Um, of all the tithes that were supposed to come in in the Old Testament, what came to be called the first tithe is Numbers 18, verse 21. And this is what God says. It says, To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. So when Israel finally occupies the promised land, all the tribes of Israel got land except for the tribe of Levi because they were the priests. They didn't get any land. They were to serve in temple worship. Israel is what's called a land-based economy, a land-based economy. Everything comes from the land. So all the Israelites are supposed to tithe to God, and that would help support the Levites to make their worship possible. Now open to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy 14, starting in verse 22. This is where you see the second tithe that the Old Testament talks about. Deuteronomy 22, verse 23. I'm going to read it to you out of the NIV because it says a tenth and it kind of goes along what we're talking about. It makes a little more sense. ESV, I love the ESV. It says, you know, you shall tithe. But this is Deuteronomy 14, 22, NIV. Set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord, your God, at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Now, so this second tithe was to be used in worship and celebration. Eventually, Israel gets to their land. They have Israel as a country. They have Jerusalem, their main city. And this was supposed to be brought eventually to the temple in Jerusalem, which also helped support the temple. And what is really cool is that this second tithe would teach people to celebrate God's goodness. This second tithe was all about parties. You set 10% aside to throw parties. Apparently, you're not excited about that. I know. Let's, that sounds really exciting to me. Imagine what kind of party you could throw. We could have like... like you know, a rock wall and like flinging around harnesses and let's run a helicopter and I don't know, something would be amazing. amazing. Deuteronomy 14 verse 26, use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink or anything you wish. You don't have to, but you could. Okay? Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. That is a passage you don't hear in Baptist churches. Right? <laughs> And I know what you're thinking. Oh, can I go buy alcohol as a count as tithing? No. 
no. It's important, though. God wants His people to connect giving and generosity with celebration and joy. It's why when we do baptisms, we get you all together and we eat together and we hang out for hours together and little kids try and throw you in the pool and instead you lift them up and throw them in the pool. and It's just a whole lot of... Because that's what it's supposed to be, a party coming together. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's the word joyful. God loves us joyful when we give. Uh, first service, somebody asked me this question. Well, do I, do I give out of my tithe or out of my gross? I'm like, I'm not God. Talk to him about it. I, it's, it's between you and Jesus. Another question somebody asked was, well, should all my giving go to the church or go to other nonprofits or whatever? There's no formula for it, okay? I'm not like working the numbers and telling you what you, there, there is no formula for that. It's between you and Jesus. I'll tell you my wife and I do, okay? Uh, first 10% of whatever comes in goes to whatever we had called our home church no matter where we were, okay? First 10%. Always went there. And then we gave to everything else on top of that. You know, Compassion Kid or World Vision Kid, uh, Planting Roots. It all comes out on top of that because our first 10% went there for us. That's just what we do. Everything's kind of other places. Now, the third tithe, Deuteronomy 14, verse 29, so you're still in the same spot. It's called the poor tithe. A tithe for the poor once every three years collected. God says so that foreigners and immigrants, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. Three tithes. Uh, You're not always clear about what three years that tithe for the poor was collected in, but essentially the Israelites gave between 23 and 28% of their income. Huge. 23, I know, we're thinking like, when I say 10%, you're like, holy cow. Think of that, 23 to 28% of their income. So, question for you. In our day, in our culture, generally when it comes to generous and living with money as a tool and not as a drug, how is our culture doing? Not well. Not well at all. Not well. So what we want to do, we're going to steal from various sources here. We're going to give you the Ten Commandments of Financial uh, Giving. Okay? And this isn't like, oh, these are in the Bible. These are just Ten Financial Commandments that we think is kind of good for you guys to go through. It's not like the Ten Commandments of the Bible and stuff like that. But we stole these from like uh, Dave Ramsey, Larry Burkett, uh, Bill Hybels, John Ortberg kind of put these all together. And I am aware that a lot of you could probably talk much better about making money and how to earn it than I ever could. I got that, okay? But I have been in churches long enough to see a lot of people who know how to make money really well make very poor financial decisions. And so we've got to walk through this. Element's top 10. It is uh, you know, much better than David Letterman's top 10, but this is our top 10. If you have a journey guide, page 47 is where this is. Uh, we gave you a bunch of, you know, thou shalt kind of things that sounds really religious, but I'm going to do that this morning, okay? <laughs> Number one, remember who the owner is. Remember who the owner is. That's why we started planting roots with the fatherhood of God. So remember who the owner is. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Who is the owner? Jesus. God. Let's try it again. Who is the owner? God. Either is fine. I'll take Jesus or God. It all works. Okay, good. Now, the funny thing is, is we say that, but we don't actually believe it. We don't actually live like it. We say those things, but is it actually true? Because we're really confused on it. There's, there's a true story. Well, Reader's Digest says it's true. Some may not be true, but whatever. There's this, there's this story of this lady who's traveling, uh, and she's between flights. She's at an airport. And if you've ever been at an airport between flights, you're waiting, and there's a little kiosk, and you're like, oh, I really want something to eat. She goes and buy a, buys a bag of cookies. It's probably like 10 bucks. You know, It's like buying popcorn at the movies. And so she buys this bag of cookies, she goes and sits down, and she opens her magazine, she starts reading it. Next thing she hears is this crinkling, and she looks over, and there's this guy in this really nice suit, he's got his hand in her bag of cookies, eating a cookie. She's like, what in the world? So she takes one of her cookies, starts eating, reading her magazine, and all of a sudden she hears the crinkling again. She's like, what? He's taking another cookie. He's like, what? 
And this goes on, she takes cookie, and it goes on and on, you know, for about 10 or 15 minutes, so there's one cookie left. And the guy breaks the cookie, gives her half, eats the other half, and then walks off. She is fuming. She's like, I can't believe it. She's so mad, right? So they call her to her flight. She gets to her, gets to a place where she's supposed to go, and she opens her bag to grab her ticket, and there's her bag of cookies. Right, right, right? It's like, oh, that just sunk in. Not only had he not been eating her cookies, she'd been eating his cookies. Do you see the correlation? I'm knowing through this planning route I was going to get one cookie analogy, and that was really good, right? So that's it. How we deal with our cookies depends on, a lot on whose cookies we think they are. Who's the owner? It's God. It's God. Do you know California, statistically, is probably the lowest giving state per capita in the United States of America? The Census Bureau of the United States evaluated 280 metropolitan areas. You want to guess where California ranked on per, ap- per capita income? Income out of all those areas, number one, number one, California, number one. The Urban Institute uh, Center for Charitable Statistics ranked 365 regions on charitable giving. Now, since we're number one in income, you think, oh, we'd be number one in charitable giving. Want to guess where we ranked out of 365 regions? 310. Okay, we're not the bottom. Bummer. So the last won't be first. Oh, poor us, whatever. 310. There's a massive study done with the Roper Institute and Harvard University found that families in South Dakota give on average 75% more of their household income than people in California. Now, if you ask, do you have anything to learn from somebody in South Dakota? You would say, yeah, how not to live in the snow, right? That's what you'd say. But really, we should learn how to be generous. We think that we are so smart, like we've got it all together. But it turns out we have a problem, and the problem is we have forgotten who the owner actually is. And the scriptures talk about this a lot. If you're still in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, God says to the people of Israel, he says, Beware lest you say in your heart, the power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Remember the Lord your God. Remember him. In our world, we think, well, it's my brains and my strength, and I've done this and I've done that, and my creativity. No, it's all God's grace. We must remember who the owner actually is. Second thing is embrace your work. Embrace your work. Talked about this a little bit last week. Embrace your work. Colossians 3, 24 and 25. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Don't raise your hands, but anybody here complain about your job? Ah, okay, yeah, so we all do apparently, yeah? Me too. You guys are horrible. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I actually have another job, too, besides this one. So I, we, we all kind of complain about our jobs. Now, a few years ago, uh, I went down to Haiti. And when I was in Haiti, it is just devastated, just devastated. Uh, the unemployment rate in Haiti is like 80%. 80%. It's, it's crazy. Uh, there's poverty. There's hunger. And yet the people who still have jobs there still complain about their jobs. But what you also see on the other side of it is those who don't work, it starts to cripple their spirit. They don't get out. They don't do anything. And so everybody's always just trying to give them things. And it's like they never actually get out and do anything. And, and they're crippled. They literally have nothing to do day after day. And now they don't want to do anything day after day. Do you know, I saw this statistic last week that in America, our, our highest places of poverty in America also have the highest rates of obesity. Because when we sit around, we can just sit around and, and we're not doing anything. We are, we are called to work. I mean, how often do you get down on your knees and thank God for the opportunity to work? I mean, whether it's paid or not, if you don't have a job right now, we'll volunteer, help out somewhere, do something. 
to labor, to contribute, to earn. That is a great blessing from God. Have you ever gotten here and you didn't thank God for the ability to work? I mean, our culture doesn't ever focus on that. There is no restaurant called, thank God, it's Monday. Oh, you guys are slow today. One of the great contributions the Bible made to the ancient world is this idea that all human labor is an honor, that it carries great dignity. Proverbs 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He says, remember when you work, whether you get a paycheck or not, whatever it is you're doing, you do it with a great attitude, with great diligence, because it's like you're working before God. I think followers of Jesus ought to be the greatest workers with the best attitudes in the world. I think when a Christian applies for a job, people ought to be like, man, I need to hire the Christian. But instead, it's like all those Christians that stand around in the back and they gossip about everybody else. They're horrible workers. You know, we need to be the best workers in the world because we are working for Jesus. We're, we're loving him. That's what we're doing. Number three, do not fall into debt. Do not fall into debt. Oh, I already broke that one. Done. Okay. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The ritual is over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. We live in a day that is devastated by debt. It is devastated by it. Uh, credit cards are marketed to college kids. And college kids think they're so smart. So smart. And yet, they are the most in debt of anyone in our society. Now imagine you have a bill, let's say it's $7,500, and you start paying the minimum until it's gone. Do a little math work here. With an interest rate of 18%, you can go up to like 25 29% now because they're all like loan sharks, but you make a minimum payment of $150 a month, two questions. Okay, number one, how long will it take you to pay off a credit card debt of $7,500? And number two, how much money will it end up costing you? Go to the person next to you and just tell them what you think it is. It's like, oh, hold me, get on my phone that I'm in debt for. If you try to pay off this debt of $7,500, 18% interest, minimum payment, $150, it will take you a little over 30 years to pay it off. 30 years. On a debt of $7,500, you will end up paying $23,000. Yeah, that new TV just about doesn't sound so good now, does it? It's like, oh, or that new phone. Oh, I'm in debt. What, what do I do? And, and a lot of times this happens. We keep buying all these little gadgets and we're in debt and we've got to pay off this bill and there's nothing left for us to give because we spent it all again on ourselves. And debt will squeeze the freedom and peace out of people like almost nothing else in the world. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. And outside, I would say whatever mortgage is prudent, whatever business loans might be wise, the general consensus of the scriptures is that debt comes with a warning, that this is detrimental to your health your physical health, your spiritual health, your mental health, your family's health. This is how strongly the Bible warns about it. Deuteronomy 24, verse 6. See, I'm trying to keep you guys in the same area. Deuteronomy 24, verse 6. No one shall take a mill or an upper, upper millstone in pledge, for that would be taking a life in pledge. You're like, I have no idea what that means, because I've never taken a millstone as, as a pledge, so therefore I've been following the Bible my whole life, never even knew. Yay, go me, right? No, okay, what this means, this is the idea that if somebody grinds grain for a living and they trade in their way of making an income in order to be able to get a loan for a debt, you've just taken their life away because they cannot grain, uh, grind grain anymore. What the Bible is saying is don't create an economy where people could put their ability to support themselves in jeopardy through debt. And that's exactly what we have done. Our government has done that to itself as well. If you are in debt, you need wise counsel. 
And we started Financial Peace University. started last week at the free preview. It gets going full bore this week. And if you need some help and you want to walk through it, it's a nine-week course. You can sign up at the Welcome Center in the back. If you can't afford the $110, which doesn't go to us, it goes to the, the FPU people for putting on the course. Uh, if you can't afford that, we have somebody in first service who said they'd sponsor you. And so if you need to get out of debt... If you need to work at it, we would encourage you to go to that because death, debt is going to strangle you. There are people who the stress of debt has actually brought on heart attacks and strokes. We do not want that to be you. We want you to be able to still come here and complain that the music is too loud and Aaron preaches too long and he's too mean half the time. We want all that, okay? We want you to live in the end financial lives that honor God. Number four, teach your children about money. Teach your children about money. We all learn about money in one way or another from our parents. It'd be fascinating to find out what did you learn from your parents. Did you learn to be impulsive? Did you learn to be worried all the time? Did you learn to hoard? Did you learn to flaunt it? Did you learn to be generous? We all learn. We live in a world today that teaches parents, if you can't spend enough time with your kids, we'll just give them money and stuff, and that takes care of it. No. The greatest gift you can give to your kids is you living a life that honors Jesus Christ. That's the best gift you could ever give them. Let, you, let them see you love Him. Let them see you work hard and work well. And let them see you learn how to use money as a tool and not a drug. But unfortunately, all the time, our kids are just keep giving, getting things and things and things because we feel guilty because we're not raising them the way we know we should. Let them see what it means. Model financial life for your kids. Because you can, you can model credit card abuse, chronic debt, neglect of giving, recreational shopping. Or you can model wisdom, simplicity, humility, and generosity. We all model one thing or another. We all teach them one thing or the other. Number five, have a plan. Jesus says not to worry about tomorrow. Right. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, but it's okay to have a plan. Okay, Planting roots is about having a plan. 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul says on the first day of every week, each of you should put something aside and store it up. And then Paul moves on to say, you know, you should save and you should give. Again, planting roots is a plan. Uh, one of the best plans I've heard is what's called the 10-10-80 plan. If you don't have one, you can maybe kind of work towards this. First off, what you do, take the first 10% of whatever God sends your way, right off the top, you give it to God's work. Very hard for my wife and I to do it first. Spent, spent years before we actually got there. But now that we're there, it's just a habit. Everything that comes in, whatever it is, 10% right off the top goes to God, no matter what, period. Never what, no matter what house project I want to work on, never what gadget or new phone I want to buy, you know, first 10% always goes to God. Next 10% goes to savings, goes to savings. Proverbs 21, verse 20, I'll read this to you out of the NIV. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. A foolish man devours all that he has. That's wisdom from the Bible right there. I am trying to work on this one. I don't always do this well because I keep finding projects at my house to work on and spend money on. But I don't want to be at the end of my days ashamed and foolish. And last one, you live on 80. Now, I know right now a lot of people are thinking, hey, how would I ever even do that? I can't live, I can't live on 100% of what I make right now. How do, I live, how do I live on 80? You know, honestly, if we looked at what, how we spend our money, we have money for the things that we want. I mean, you have money to go out and eat if you want. You have money to stop by, you know, and buy your cheeseburgers and whatever that you want. We have money for the things that we want. And if we stop doing that, we take a step back and allow God to work through all of our financial life. Well, I got to have cable. Oh, my goodness. I, I couldn't watch Project Runway if I didn't have cable. Get Hulu Plus. It's like eight bucks a month, man. Eight bucks. You don't have to pay a hundred. You know, all that kind of stuff. And, and even if you get to 80% to live on, it's not like, okay, 10% is God, 10 savings, 80% is all mine. Wow. 
That's, that's not what that's supposed to be. God still wants to work on generosity and everything because, again, it's His. It's His. I talked to you guys about this last week a little bit, how God's been kind of working with me because my wife and I, I think we're pretty generous in, in what we give. And then and we have all of our bills and stuff. Then I have this little mound over here that I think is like my play money. It's like, oh, so when we talk about planting roots, my first thought is, okay, God, what am I going to give you out of my play money? And God's like, I don't want to talk about your play money. I want to talk about your entire life. And I go, I don't want to talk about my entire life. Who do you think you are? I want to talk about my play money. And God's like, no. And so God's doing that. He's working things in my heart and moving things around. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. Makes me want to sing that song with Saturday Night Live. Ooh, wee, what's up with that? What's up with that? Like, oh, oh. No? Okay, right, all right. So we want God to lead all of us in how we handle all of it. And, and I know some of you guys, it's like you got like a million kids and you got to feed all these kids. And, and what do you do? Uh, the women's ministry is doing this really cool thing. Uh, they, they kind of modeled it after planting roots and they call it planting food. So it kind of, uh, yeah, okay, whatever. So um, they're, they're doing this thing where uh, this is open to men and women both. So if you're like a single guy and you're like, oh my goodness, I need to figure out how to make meals and save money. McDonald's is killing me. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, what you can, what the, they're going to do is they're going to walk through how to make meals. Uh, budget meals that you can save money on that don't taste like dirt but are actually really good. If you have like you know a bunch of friends that come over a lot and you're always like feeding all of them, it's going to be how to how to make meals for a lot of people on a budget that's really good. How to buy food, how to how to look to buy the correct things, to make things, to make things taste like really good things. Going to have recipes and all kinds of stuff. And if you are interested in going to that, it's it's free. Okay, uh, you just sign up in the back. There's a sign up sheet at the welcome center. Uh, as many of you want to come, is as many they'd love to bring. But they want to know how many people are coming because they're going to provide you food there. <gasps> Free food. There you go. Look at that. You're going to show up with bells on. Be all excited. It's going it's to be kind of cool. Um, and, and again, if you're in this place where you're not actually there yet, you know, oh, I can't give 10 or save 10 or live on you know, take a first step. Take a first step. Start somewhere. If it's less than 10, start with less than that and then, then build your way up. Let God lead you in all of it. Number six is you declare enough. You declare enough, enough. Proverbs 30, verse, verse 15 is going to be on the screen right here. And it says, the leech is two daughters. Give and give, they cried. In Hebrew, these are also the words for more and more. More and more. The desire for more is going to suck the joy and gratitude out of you. The Bible uses an image of this, of a leech. You want to see what a leech looks like? It looks like this. Mmm, full of blood. Yummy leech. Years ago, Lake San Antonio, the water got down pretty low and you'd walk through it and these leeches would just attach to your feet and your legs. Oh, yeah, now it's out of water. So God killed them all. Now he'll fill it back up and we'll be okay. Hopefully this year that'll, that'll happen. But, but this, is, this is what it does. Leeches are called bloodsuckers. Here's another picture. Nasty, right? This is the picture the Bible uses. Uh, after service in the back, we have some leeches. We're going to just attach them to all of you so you can feel what it feels like. Yeah. Kidding. Kidding. Here's another picture. It's disgusting, right? Really? Right? Right? This is more and more and more. I mean, you look at this, you, this, this is horrible. This is the picture the Bible uses. So you would understand what the desire for more and more, never being content, actually looks like. That's exactly what it looks like, the way of the leech. Give me, give me, more and more. Tell when, tell forever. Tell forever. We live in a culture that is built on more and more, built on leeches. I mean, people wonder what each other's lifestyles is. What that means is what's your rate of consumption? What kind of house you got? What kind of car you drive? How many things you got? 
I mean, do we ever stop and say, what's enough? What's enough? If we're going to live the way Jesus calls us to live, being content, we've got to be able to say enough. I mean, what if today was enough day for you? What if you're to say, today I'm declaring I've got enough? It doesn't mean that a couple years down the road when your TV goes in the fridge, you can't buy a new one. You've got to walk up and bang it every 10 minutes. That's not what it means. It means when you always have this desire for more and more, like, oh, I bought a TV in 2014, but now the 2014 and a halfs are out. I better go buy one of those. those, are, those are, it's, it's a current desire for always more and more and more. What, what if we stop trying to keep up with the Joneses? What if you just say, okay, the Joneses are the winners. There you go. And you, and, you, and you let them win, you say enough. That'd be huge because at some point, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to be able to say it's enough. It's enough. Number seven, you find an alternative way to keep score. Find another way, alternative way to keep score. Uh, how often do you ask somebody that you run into, hey, how much money do you make? Never. Look at the person next to you and just ask them how much money you make. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't. That'd just be awful. We can tell people all kinds of stuff about ourselves. We talk about our bodies, our health, our marriage problems, our personal problems, but we hardly ever talk about our salaries. Why? It's personal. You don't talk about that stuff. You know, why is it personal? Because we live in a day where the main reality of our culture is an economic reality. That's why it's personal. Money is not just a neutral medium of exchange. Money in our day is the primary expression of value, and we attach it to certain types of work. You do this work, you make this. You do that work, you make that. And so it becomes a declaration of value. That's why it's so personal. If I make less than you, I'm going to compare myself to you and your job. Well, how do I get your job instead of my job? I want that thing instead. This is why throughout the scriptures, it constantly says, stop comparing yourself. Stop showing favoritism. In James chapter 2, stop showing favoritism. James tells us that we need to stop basing all these crazy things on things that God doesn't even care about. You've got to stop. You've got to find a different way to keep score. Number eight, look around. Proverbs 19, verse 7. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Jesus talks about this when he says things like, whoever did this to the least of these did this for me. And so we look at ways. God, how do I have your heart? How do I become generous? Number nine, seek wise counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance of people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. I'll tell you, I am much more likely to buy something stupid when there's no one around me. Like I'm sitting home, oh, Amazon Smile, what's that? Click, oh, but hey, I think my wife needs a new bathing suit. I'll buy a girl's bathing suit. Bing, why? I don't know. I'm just on Amazon Smile and everything pops up. I'll buy something. I got it. Oh, my goodness. Seek wise counsel. Put people around you. Don't buy stupid things when you're sitting alone. You know, do you have anybody in your life who knows what you make, what you spend, and what you give, and what you save? You anybody who does that? And I'm not talking just a spouse if you're married. I'm talking somebody else outside of that. Do you have a friend that you trust that much to talk to? If not, find one. Get one. Build some relationships in that. It takes a lot of trust. You've got to know somebody really well and trust them a lot to tell them all that stuff. Don't go up to a stranger after service in the back trying to find something to eat and go, hey, let me tell you about my financial life. It's weird. Don't do it. Okay? <laughs> Seek wise counsel because they may be in just as worse shape as you are. Okay? Uh, number 10, and this is kind of a funky way to say it, but look forward to your final audit. Okay, uh, Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 12. We're at the end in verse 48. He says, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from, whom, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The most important piece of financial information I could probably ever give you, ever going to hear, it's not going to come from a book, and it's not going to come from something on TV, it's this. You are going to die. Say it with me. I'm going to die. Cheery thoughts and element. There you go, right? Wonderful, wonderful. You know, I'll tell you, I have talked to people on their deathbeds 
I have never once heard someone say, oh, I wish my bank account was bigger. Oh, I wish I made more money. I've heard lots of people say, man, I just had, wish I had more time. I would, I would serve more. I would give more. I'd be more generous. I would help out in more places. I can't tell you how many people say that. They look at their life and regret it. I'm always like, don't regret your, look forward to what God's doing in your life now. I mean, if you even do get better, live that out. You know, don't look back in regret and shame. God doesn't want you to live in shame, but he wants you to live in the future that comes up in a redemptive way of life. I mean, on, on your deathbed, people get really clear what, what's important. It's, it's loving Jesus. It's our lives surrendered to him as Savior, healer, leader, forgiver. All of those things, our lives in context of what he has done. In the Sermon on the Mount and Planting Roots, we want it to remind you that you don't have to wait till you're on your deathbed to think about all this stuff. You can do it now. You can do it today. You start with simple steps. You learn to be generous. You learn to give. You learn to live the way that God calls us to live because no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Now, in your journey guides on page 49, I gave you two action steps this week. Okay, number one is you find someone you trust and have an open dialogue about finances. Find someone you trust, have an open dialogue about finances. I talked to a friend of mine a few weeks ago about this because I knew it was coming. even though you didn't. And so I told him all about it, and I said, I want you to be my guy. Now, he didn't say that back to me. It's okay. I, I can live with that, okay? I'm, I'm not going to be hurt or offended. They didn't say it back to me, but so I got someone I'm going to talk to about it. And then the, and the second thing is talk to family or friends about each of these ten financial commandments. You know, did they irritate you? Uh, do you understand them? Is, are, you know, how are you, how you doing on that? You know, what, what do we need to do to, to move forward in that? You know, start talking and having dialogues about these things. Because I think when you do, it's going to help you to move more and more to a place of freedom. And this is where God wants us to be. He wants us to be a people who live in freedom, that are not in bondage to stuff and things that our world says is so important. He wants us to live lives that are first and foremost about who he is and his redemptive work in our lives. That's who we're supposed to be. And it doesn't mean that we can't have nice things and have fun with our things and and stuff like that. But if our desire is always for more, we're living the way of the leech. If it's always about us, we've forgotten who the owner is. We must be a people who live, understanding that, that God wants to put things into our hands as well as pass things through our hands. And if we stand like this all the time, just clutching what we have, he's not gonna, he can't put anything in there because our hands are closed too. We need to open them. And it's not just going to reach down and take everything out. He wants, we're still supposed to be like a stream, a river that things pass through. God puts things in our hands, and we distribute that to people who need it. This is what it means to be generous. This is what it means to love God. And part of that for us, as a family, uh, as a place we call Element Home, is that you know, in a year and a half or two years, we're going to get kicked out of here, and we have no place to go, and so we're trying to build a building. Again, it's not about a building. It's about Jesus, but you know, we need a place to go. And so part of Planting Roots is part of that. But all of this comes down to the idea that God is the owner. We live generous lives. He is good, and he is faithful, and we can trust him in all things. This is one of the reasons we go to communion every single week. It reminds us of that our great God came and paid the debt that we owed to sin and death. He defeated our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. They're not his. He's the living God. He defeated our enemies. And so we take that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You break it like his body was broken. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. Reminds of his blood that was shed for you and I. We lay all of our burdens and everything at his feet, understanding that he is our great God who has saved us. He has paid our debts. He has set us free. We are now to live in freedom. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we're going to play a couple songs. We invite you guys as 
play these songs to worship God, sing songs. We invite you to take communion. Uh, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, if you're in a place where you're like, I have no idea how to even start. My life is just overwhelmed with the debt burden that I have on top of me. Go and pray with them and talk to them. They'll steer you towards uh, FPU. Uh, we'll you know, get you connected with some things like that and, and help you begin working out of that because God wants you to live in freedom. He doesn't want you to live in the burden of debt things and money and stuff he wants us free and when we are free we can actually worship him with open and joyful and grace-filled hearts that's what he wants of his people people who are free to worship and live lives that honor him and each other there's offering boxes inside wall in the back and we give because god gave so much to us giving is simply part of that worship we don't pass a plate it's a response to what he has done, and so you've got to get up and respond if you want to give. And there is food in the back. Uh, grab some food. Meet some new people. If you don't know anybody, have one of those close friends you can talk to. You know, grab something to eat and, and meet. Something's happening. Uh, you know, uh, uh, meet somebody and maybe, you know, grow a little deeper with somebody. And then maybe you can share some of those deep and hard things. God calls us, you know, to be a community that lives life together. And by living life together, it helps us not to just, you know, be the guy who buys the crazy stuff on Amazon Smile. You know, it's, it, it helps us to be able to live lives that are closer and closer to who he calls us to be. You know, we're not islands. We're meant to be communities living together. Yes, God saves us individually. And yet, he then calls us to live as a church, as a body, as a group of people doing life together. Because that is the only way we'll actually live in any financial realities by having each other come alongside of us and talk to each other and be honest and open about the things we need to. Our God is good. Our God is good. And He is a generous God, and we should be a generous people as well. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us how to be those who trust you in all things. Father, it seems so easy at times to clutch our hands together and not want to give anything. To hoard And to think we never have enough. To also think that if we we give, we won't have enough. Because sometimes the numbers don't make sense in our head. And yet you are faithful. You are good. Teach us how to be those who remember who the owner is. Of all of our lives. Not just finances, but everything. Our hearts, our souls, our minds, our wills. You own everything. And I ask that we be those who lay all of us before you. Trusting you as the great Father you have revealed yourself to be. That we would understand when you send your spirit, there is freedom there. That when we come before you, it is a place of hope, not a place of despair, not a place of shame about you know, how we're not handling things correctly, but a place of hope that things can always be different tomorrow. And that on the cross, at your resurrection, you have wiped away the debt of our sin, the stain of all that was, the shame of all that it was. You picked us up out of the debt out of the pit that we have placed our own selves in. And you set us back up on our feet and you walk with us. 
Teach us to be a people who stop looking back at all the places we've been and start looking forward to all the places you're calling us to. To live in the great freedom of the great grace you have given to us. Have us learn to be a people who reflect the generosity of our great God and live in ways that bring you glory and astound the world around us because of how much we trust and love you. We ask these things in your son's good name. Amen.